Hey, this is Max Alper, and you are listening to Lameem Young. Yeah, that's me. That's it. That's a great critical listening session, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you so much. No, I'm just fucking with you. I'm just fucking with you. Critical listening. 16. We got it in one. <laughs> exactly. Critical listening 16. Coming at you live on a lovely Sunday afternoon. Hope everyone is doing swell today, this week. Their spring is sprung. June's just around the corner. God damn. Fucking hell. I wanted to start off our session today. It's something that I've probably posted on the internet in meme form many a time, but haven't gone into too much detail talking about this group. And this record in particular, a group called Belong, whose record in 2006, October Language, one of the real pivotal pivotal moments in my ear, in my listening history. Uh, This record uh, by Belong, group from New Orleans, originally though i do not believe they belong anymore turk dietrich and michael jones uh one of whom i believe went on to found the band second woman uh yeah looking like they aren't a thing anymore but this record in particular uh october language especially hearing the fact that they're making all of this shit in Pro Tools in t- the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Yeah, Second Woman with Turk Dietrich and my boy Josh of Telefon Tel Aviv. Uh, but Belong from the 2000s, really one of the greatest drone, lesser-known drone ambient noise uh serious shit going on yes some serious early electronics wizardry when i first heard this record i just it was one of the first times really just being like what the fuck am i hearing right now at this point it was 2006 and it was such a huge guitar pedals post-rock galore sort of era of indie indie music uh and this record is just so dense in production standpoint um and i just know that they made it all in pro tools and i still just don't know how they did it so we're gonna listen to the first track off of it one of my favorites this is record is called october language by belong the track is called i never lose never really wow i fucked that up i never lose never really here we go
Yes. I never lose, never really. By belong. Off the 2006 record October Language, and you can see why. Fifteen-year-old Max. Still, thirty-two-year-old Max is still blown away by this particular piece for different reasons now, but similarly, the the sound is massive, right? I mean, this is a in a league of its own as far as creating a density in texture that is, as mentioned by Vincent live uh, in the chat here, kind of teetering on the edge of harshness in the distortion, but balance in the mix that it really creates this edge, glassy sort of high frequency, bright edge to the tonality. You know, it, it's saturation, but it's not to the point of noise as a non-tonal texture. It still remains fully in, a, you know, a chord progression. It goes one, two, one. You know, it's mostly just one, two, and one back and forth uh, with a... Uh, with with the with one 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 other one other phrase before finally ending on a on a minor drone, um, but there's song structure here very slowly, and I think their next record, uh, I think their next record gets put more in the sort of electronic, shoegazy kind of, uh, because I'm assuming this has to be hardware, and software combined. I just can't imagine what they're doing with Pro Tools VST, with, you know, VSTs in the 2000s specifically creating this density. Uh, I might be, you know, it might be entirely uh, <laughs> partially programmed themselves with, you know, something in Max or Pure Data to create this density because it's just so, uh, I don't know if, if we're, if what we're hearing is just granular synthesis alone creating this very repetitive pulsing at the speed of which we're not even hearing it as pulse, but as oscillation. We sort of hear it towards the end when some of the density sort of breaks apart and we're starting to hear these more glitched sounds happening there. But from what I'm gathering, it really is a, a massive sort of uh, combination of these pulses that are occurring at such granular paces that we can't even tell that there's pulse but rather just these really uniquely unique timbres uh, being played through a variety of, you know, quite distinguishable pitch material, harmonic material. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to put this in drone, drone and ambient just on its consonants and its prettiness, but the production takes it to this layer of timbre and texture that is just somewhere between like we would say like straight tone versus fire as two extremes as far as tone goes and this is heat somewhere between straight cool tone and complete saturated burning distorted noise signal harsh signal we have this really 
balanced in between that makes it abrasive but not not enough to want to turn it down you know it's still like inviting you to hear it loud uh i think that's really uh what's unique about this mix is that we find a way and i guess we could find that in shoegaze i guess in other genres that really play with consonants and even poppy melody with like blistering distortion and uh walls of sound and volume and gain staging that uh can be quite deafening live uh for anyone that managed to see a my bloody valentine reunion tour uh but at the same time uh warm and inviting um yeah there's something quite interesting here but in a strictly digital sense in this context with this recording yeah, I I, uh, I agree. Uh, Peter says in the chat, you know, reminding them of Black Midi, the genre, not the band, but Black Midi, the genre being the when <laughs> people would make these generative MIDI compositions that would just be an entire screen. The entire piano roll is filled with information that you don't even see individual notes anymore. You just see a wall of of <coughs> pitches, black you see a, a, a entire wall uh, is the densest you could possibly make an 88 piano roll uh, uh, piano roll in MIDI uh, present itself. Uh, and, but yet at the root of it, there is harmony in black MIDI music. There is harmony. There is structure. It isn't just every note imaginable at once, but rather like finding ways to create uh a distinguishable harmony that is grounding you even the most, you know, in the simplest musical terms of chord progression or something or a basic melody, it's grounding you yet it is surrounded by like the most maximal dense signal imaginable. So it has this really interesting balance of both uh, straight ahead, very musical and uh, uh, accessible while also being, like beyond dense as far as what we're hearing in the actual arrangement right so it's simple music compositionally with extreme extremely maximal arrangement and i guess this might be yeah uh, a good way of describing what we just heard you know this record is not uh if you listen to all of it, it it's 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 not hard to to figure out key and rhythm and, and and tempo and uh harmony in each of these tracks despite there being just massive sound the fact that you're able to pick out these voices and find a balance between what could easily be overwhelming and harsh as far as the actual uh production goes but chooses not to to allow you to still distinguish the core foundational music tonally and harmonically at the root of it it's really nice um yeah everyone go on listen to belong also good to know with this record made right after and like kind of conceived during hurricane katrina in new orleans uh when you think about that just the devastation and also just the wind and for anyone that's been in a hurricane before or any natural disaster, just the density of sound in that would be really, really, uh, you know, 
turning lemons into lemonade here. I can't think of a more of a darker sort of inspiration for something that is, you know, needs to be, that can be expressed musically and sonically. Um, that really adds an element to this as far as like the inspiration for the sound here. Um, yeah, very interesting stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for letting me play that to start us out. Let's get to your submissions for today. We got a few going on here, starting with PETA, who writes, oh, cool, we got Yeji Classic. They write, I recently saw Yeji live while obsessively retooling a synthwave track, so I have been thinking a lot about Throb lately. Skilled producers like Yeji make Throb seem effortless, Yet I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time trying to get a good throb going, and usually just end up with subs overloaded. I also love that throb here is uh, capitalized. Good to have that distinguished. Uh, usually end up with the sat with the subs overloaded, the kicks the kicks muddied, and my feelings hurt. What are the ideal conditions for achieving a throb? Is there any reliable methodology of throb? One weird trick for the throb that determine dermatologists hate <laughs> if there's a time slash if it's a useful angle the yeji show reminded me of other times i've seen crossover club artists play a rock venue it could swear i hear a mismatch between the music and the sound system in a way that particularly can undercut throb potential all right well, we're gonna have to get into this we're gonna have to dissect the throb a bit but yeji Bass music, people, is a term that has been solidified as a large umbrella, and that includes perhaps what Peter is describing here. But let's hear an example here with Yeji's Rain Girl. Make it rain, girl, make it rain. A classic indeed. Once again, Vivo or whatever, blocking Discord embedding. So give me a sec while I load it up in the browser and not subject you to YouTube ads because I ain't giving nobody free advertising. Where's my Grammarly advertising? Yeah, where's my unison MIDI chord pack ad? Where's my money? Let's go. Rain, make it, rain, girl, make it. When the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Make it rain, girl, make it rain. 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 What if it's just me? 
free. Mother Russia in my cup, and my glasses fogging up. Oh yeah, hey dog, hey what's up? Oh yeah, hey dog, hey what's up? When the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Make it rain, girl, make it rain, 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 make it rain, girl, make it. yes ah yes make it rain girl make it rain classic yeji track um love her work she seems like a very nice person seems so quiet (laughs) all of her all of her like against the clock and like sounds like it always sounds like her voice is completely shot when she speaks because it's just so quiet uh and she makes such a massive sound and uh her shows are so engaging um <laughs> really strong stuff here i mean so going into the uh dissecting le throb <laughs> throbbing bass uh and just thinking about generally like well-rounded mixing especially in house music uh traditional dance music and things like that and what i think is strong about this and i mean well first of all anybody producing electronic music meant for a club sound system should be working with full range monitors at home and that includes a subwoofer monitor because and unfortunately mine is starting to really crap out this talk about throb this this was really shaking my it feels like something is loose <laughs> inside my subwoofer because it sounds like we are it's not only throbbing it's rattling my subs uh and that is something that is you know you can't you can't wing that 
in the mixing process and the mastering process, the attenuation towards subs, it starts with your choice, with your sound design, right? It starts with when you're dealing with electronic music. So much of this stuff is synthesized from scratch, sound design, uh, even in sample-based stuff, dealing with resynthesizing of materials, getting to that sub bass frequency range, you know, 40 through 70, 80, ish hertz uh where you're going to have in audio reinforcement settings with a full range pa you're going to have a lot of activity that will be rumbling the building <laughs> and not necessarily audible by ear rumbling your chest and your stomach but not necessarily heard uh you can Compensate for not being able to experience that with your standard mixing monitor pair or even less ideal, a decent pair of mixing headphones. But this, I think that this attenuation towards the throb, creating something that goes well beyond just like bass, sub bass thumping, but and I think it mentioned also in the chat here too, uh, with you know combining this with proper groove. I mean, this is this is a a bass instrument. This is a kick, a kick, a low end percussion instrument. So at the end of the day, like this is our foundation rhythm section. This is the lowest of our of our uh, frequency range as far as rhythm section goes. It is really holding us there. Uh, it is everything kind of starts there. So. Obviously, you know, Yeji makes strong dance music. There's there's no and makes and makes strong rhythmic grooves. Uh there's no questioning that. But from a mixing perspective, I think it really takes the time starting with your with making music with subwoofers, like recording your music. If you're using synthesizers, if you're using, if you're doing anything live. Uh, hardware or even you know VST MIDI stuff to be hearing this as close as you can to and I'm talking specifically to people making music for sound systems here you know this doesn't apply to everybody and I think it's like you mentioned Peter hearing this music in a rock venue versus a club is on itself in a live audio production backline PA perspective a different uh, a, a a different context and conversation entirely but from the us as producers in the studio, in the very least, trying to make something that can be uh, presented without much changes necessary in the club mixer uh, in a live sound system club dance music setting. Um, and I think you have to kind of emulate that experience as best you can in every step of the way when you're producing, starting with composing and recording your stuff then obviously mixing it. I think the mixing is is your final stages here as far as like really being able to emphasize uh, and to potentially, you know, get to a point like just under using things such as compressor, obviously like heavy limiting of the bass to basically allow very little uh, dynamic range in the subs. It's basically going to be on or off you know, this is our, this is our hook. This is our drop, you know, uh, and it really, really need there to be a 
extreme contrast between when the subs come in and when they are off. Uh, and we hear that here basically in verse, chorus, verse, chorus uh, between, you know, and it's it's very DJ accessible and DJ friendly because it's just like turning on the high pass filter for the verse. We're dropping out all the lows and then boom, bring it all back in for the make it rain girl, make it rain um, to create that contrast in frequency bands. Uh, <laughs> my neighbors are going to hate this one, y'all. Yeah, it's... Uh, Hopefully you get some sound treatment in your little home studio if you were going to be using your subs. That is something I did not invest in when I lived in an apartment, only have used subwoofers in my studio in the rental home scenario in the suburbs. So uh, a little less of an issue, but I understand that. And that's probably a good reason why people don't make that initial investment thinking about that as far as not obviously for money too, but making the initial investment and not only getting a, a stereo pair of monitors, but a subwoofer too. But really absolutely crucial for anybody trying to make music for club sound systems to invest in one of those things. One of them low-end gizmos, because you can't, whatever this throb is, at the end of the day, it's a serious attention to detail in that sub-bass frequency range uh and you just i don't think you're able to i don't think you're going to be able to get that without being able to actually emulate that with reinforcement you know with seriously reinforced audio at home doesn't need to be loud just audible i don't mix loudly maybe i'll master loudly i don't mix loudly you know that's the other challenge too is can you make it throb at 50 percent volume is this something that requires your, you know, or the listener's output to be loud as well? I mean, I think obviously dance music, we're going to listen to it loud when we dance and stuff. But from a mixing perspective and stuff, I think that's a, it's a good challenge to put on yourself is to make sure that you can emulate the same audible experience without having to like boost everything, right? Because if you're boosting everything and maybe it's more indicative of that, <laughs> This is all maybe a bit too quiet, you know? I don't know. I think this is something the yeah. Yeah, producing quiet seems to really help with dance music because the kick and bass always seem to have to way have to be way, way louder than you assume. That's what Peter writes live. Yeah. It's true. I mean, I think a good set of monitors and sub trio. Huh in a decent sounding, you know, at least in a room where you can get it quiet enough that you're not distracted by external noises uh, that you might be able to really uh, tune in from the mixing perspective. It's not as, uh, like I'm saying, it, it's something that should change your thought process from the beginning, from the compositional and production standpoint as well, and not just mixing though. You know, like how do I, hearing something in a frequency range without subs available and then suddenly now hearing it in with subs available it, it can really suddenly you realize like oh shit it's been muddy this entire time because i just haven't heard it down there you know or vice versa there's nothing down there when i thought there was so it's it's important to make that investment i would say i think so make it rain girl make it rain 
Good shit from Yeji. Hate when you find out there's nothing down there. Yeah, nothing worse than an accidentally tinny recording. One time I was DJing and like for a good 20 minutes, I didn't realize that my my high pass filter was on like just ever so slightly. And so the bass was just, the subs were just not in there for 20 minutes. That was interesting coming into that. Yeah. Because, you know, you're mixing with your headphones on and, and uh, setting up transitions and stuff. Uh, you might be a little zoned out and not hearing it as so much in the room. Then suddenly I'm just like, where'd my thump go? Whoops. 10% high pass filter on getting all just the subs taken out. But when it comes back, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, thank God. It's like fucking ASMR. It's just like, ah, oh, Christ, I needed that kick. I needed that subs. Oof, oof, oof. Yes. Where's my thump? Where's my thump? Good shit. Thank you for this submission. Let us continue on for today. What do we got next? We got Vincent with a track by Boards of Canada. Ah, Le Classique. Mm -hmm. Vincent writes, thinking about the idea of repetition and what makes a repetitive song good, hypnotic, and interesting versus stale and annoying. Are there some good sound design elements here that makes the repetition enjoyable? Is the harshness of sounds a factor in this? Is it more of a genre convention thing? Hip-hop beats being to, being to some extent defined by repetition? Or is it all totally subjective? Of course, there's a chance eventually, a change eventually, but I'm talking about the motif that runs for the majority of the track. Also interested in production of repetitive music. I find myself getting tired of a beat if I make it that if it I make if it's that if it's that repetitive, especially the snare sound. Is there a trick to keeping some distance with our own music in order to be more objective about the appeal of some repetitive production? Well, without even listening to the track, I will say yes, there is a trick to that, and that is take a break, stop playing music for the day, go back to it tomorrow. <laughs> Just stop. Anytime, okay, putting my foot down. If you are working on something that an hour ago you were stoked about, but now you are finding things that weren't there before that really are bugging you, is an in a clear indicator to me of ear fatigue. And you need to take a break. Because there's certainly things we could do that are critical. We are always our own harshest critic. And I'm not saying those critiques, self-critiques aren't valid. But you are a human being, not a machine. And your ears and your brain and your hands or whatever it is that you use to make music, those are muscles. And you can't overwork any muscle in your brain. Listen, you want to get swole musically? You want to build up those ear muscles, those critical listening? You want to get you want to get fucking ripped in the ears and your brain? <laughs> you got to be able to know when to take a rest. <laughs> it is hard the meta critique. It is it's quality 
quality in regards to our own music is the most subjective thing because we're always going to hear things that 99% of other people won't hear, even if they are technically trained for blah, blah, blah. You know, we hear it even more in performances. Oh, I fucked up. No, you didn't. Now I know you fucked up because you told me. That's the other thing too. If you fuck up, don't don't let anybody know. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, they 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 didn't pick up on that. Only you did. <laughs> All right, we'll come back to this. Let's listen to the track "Boards of Canada," "Rue the World" from the track "Music" from the album "Music Has the Right to Children." Let's go.
That's right. That's right. You know, this is, I think of a lot, I think boards of Canada kind of play with a few different genre determining factors as far as being like kind of on the front lines of what became a lot of down tempo and ambient in the club context, ambient music, like other contemporaries like Apex Twin, like selected ambient works and things like that. Not in the Brian Eno, uh, but more in the in the uh, the down tempo side of it. But also rip hop, as they called it. Uh, Boards of Canada being uh, really some of the you know as alongside different groups like Portishead and things like that. You know, all kind of UK folks uh, playing these taking what is a lot of the contemporary tools like breakbeats, for example, but slowing it down and repeating them without making them, uh, without creating the, you know, creating more of this, you know, I mean, trippiness, right? I mean, it's supposed to be minimalist. It's supposed to be psychedelic uh, in different ways, you know, this, and yes, it does kind of pave the way uh, in many regards for this passive listening that we hear in lo-fi hip-hop, uh, you know, as far as those 24-hour streams go. Um, but what I think there is a time and a place for effective, repetitive music. And I think ambient and hip-hop, the intersections of ambient and dance music, uh, regardless of sub-genre of dance, electronic dance music, whether it be, you know, more club house to techno oriented or more hip hop adjacent um both of which obviously electronic fields so putting it under the the larger uh electronic dance music umbrella but when we combine that with ambient we can sort of get into these categories that can be a bit utilitarian but useful like we can play repetitive music it's okay to space out to have music to space out to it's okay to have music to not necessarily be a actively listening for every every you know sixteenth note click for little changes in detail. You know, I think that the art form is finding ways to make gradual changes that could be done in a minute. How do you spread that out over six minutes or five or six minutes uh, and keep it engaging? And I think it requires the right mindset listening wise obviously if you're going in for upbeat fast paced or you know like big action lots of things changes and lots of things happening real quick you're not going to find that in this type of music but if you're looking for you know a, a happy in between that combines i think you know the a lot of the same vocabulary of the more traditional dance music at the time contemporaries you know any prodigy or jungle adjacent uk artists using breakbeats i mean they're still using breakbeats in so much of boards of canada music uh but at a 50 to 70 bpm sort of register where it might if it were double the tempo we might still have the exact same uh arrangement and length of repetitions but because we're hearing it at a much faster tempo we aren't uh, feeling it, you know, 
laying there repetitively feeling overly repetitive because we're moving on much quicker. I think that this is just a, it's okay to need to give yourself six minutes to listen to two or three subtle changes in the production, you know, because there, obviously there was more changes than that. But at the end of the day, this was a repetitive track. And I think that of even for, even for boards of Canada, this had very minimal changes. Like this was like Dylan Carlson, like earth, like really playing one blues progression for 64 bars at 50 BPM before going to the chorus or whatever, you know, and there's, it's in some ways can be related to a, I mean, yeah, in trip hop music, I mean, in psychedelic music, you're going to have the added factor of being like stoned or tripping balls. And yeah, sure, repetitive sounds, slow sounds, allowing you to groove on something for twice as long as you would think it's really going to go for can be an enhanced experience when you're on substances. But for the, the for those of us that are, you know, going in raw dog in it, you know, I think that it's okay to think about this in a sort of trance-like uh, mindset. And I don't mean trance music. I mean, just actually allowing yourself to disregard what is happening, you know, like to really allow yourself to be taken away by the repetition and fall in with something meditative rather than being there right now, overanalyzing every single thing. Um, exactly. I mean, yeah, sure. Great for walks and driving. If you're trying to actually turn your mind off and do something, this can serve that utility. Absolutely. Uh, but I think just in day-to-day -day life, there's just there's still just as much of an art form to want to make ambient or any sort of music for you know deliberate quote passive listening right i think it's just the problem is when you're seeking to make something it really it's all just intention right if you're seeking to make something engaging uh in a way that requires more changes you're going to have to recontextualize the music that you're working on if it's overly or you think you're starting to think it's overly repetitive and like i said some of this might be as simple as changing your tempo like doubling it see what happens you know what i mean like that it, i think a lot of this music comparative to to jungle music uh is in many ways a matter of bpm um especially like boards of canada versus more big room electronic sound contemporary of the time like prodigy you know two very big examples and contemporaries of each other both working with probably the same breakbeat samples <laughs> uh play, being generated through mpc or whatever uh tools they're using um and it's just about contextualizing it as far as allowing yourself to like disengage to trance out, to like, you know, space out or to be like raging with every downbeat, you know, I think that's a, it's an important thing to think about intention with your work, because I don't think there is such a thing as over repetition. If that is what you're going for, if you are going for really hypnotizing your, your listener, you know, like aiming for lulling them through repetition that's that's a fully valid intent 
you know, and I don't mean lulling as in lulling to sleep. I mean, like maybe getting them to, you know, put their guard down a little bit as far as like feeling the itch to move forward and change. No, keep them there, you know, keep them repetitive, allow them to lose a bit of that anxiety. It's tough. It's tough. And it's not a, it's not necessary for everything, you know, even for slow all slow music. Plenty of slow music making plenty of changes, right? It's all contextual. It's all about your intention. You know, Boards of Canada kind of like I said, this this is a even for their standards, pretty repetitive stuff, you know. I would put this in the category of that, you know, more of the trip hop side and what would, you know, really foundationally this sound has become the lo-fi sound, you know, really ahead of their time there. But not sure if they knew that there would be 20, 25 years after this record, 24-7 generative music playlists on YouTube or whatever that would just play this type of music forever, right? Six min six minutes of repetition is strong. I don't know about twenty four seven. Spend time in the feel and not just the content. I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Let your guard down. It's okay every once in a while. I think it's important. You can find that in rhythm just as much as spacious drony long tones. Some people can find that in abrasive music i know people that meditate to gent algo gent listening to computer generated math metal <laughs> all sorts of fun things out there oh god studying to boulez that is not i don't i bring me back to freshman year in college not for me thank you not for me okay Thank you, Vincent, for that. We got a couple more going on here. Something from Shui. Ooh, I'm loving this. Yes, 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 yes. I'm loving at this. Okay, Shui writes, after seeing a similar post on the Instagram about 3DS menu music, yeah, I remember posting that, I was reminded of this piece, which is probably my first introduction to minimalism as a preteen. I wonder if we could talk about how effect, affect in music can develop the feeling of a rich, almost physical environment, a chrome and white plastic cathedral, or something in this case. Yes, this case being, and we will see in a second, we menu music. <clears throat> so I wonder if we could talk about the affect of mu how music can develop a feeling of rich, almost physical environment in space, and how that specifically relates to game sound as interactive media, rather than the temporarily specific role that something has, like a film score. Yes. Also just want to appreciate how beautiful those held sign sign rubbing flat ninths inverted major seven harmonies are. <laughs> that was a mouthful of theory for you. All right. I'm sure many of you have heard this, but we are going to get right into it. And we will this is great. Love to talk about game music. Love to talk about that replayability, as mentioned earlier in the chat. This is the Wii menu music. Someone knows the composer. Please let me know.
right. I gave you a good three and a half minutes there of menu time. <laughs> gotta gotta do a proper YouTube fade, you know, gotta do it right. It's live, baby. Live radio, right? Uh I have mentioned a few times, uh, starting with when I was a more full-time college professor teaching a lot of game design students that there has never been a more like pure uh usage like perfect synergized usage of what we would describe as ambient music uh in something as necessarily taken for granted or common nowadays as interactive media whether it be video games or a menu, you know, we wouldn't describe the menu of a video game system as a video game itself, but rather software menu and uh, UI and UX, part of that sort of, uh, uh, you know, of interactive media side of things. Um, because ambient music, and I used to say this all the time because I was a professor in Puerto Rico, ambient, uh, I'm going to say it in Spanish, ambiente literally translates to environment and to put this in a different term than to be calling it what we're making as environmental music environment music um i think is a really interesting way to sort of uh illustrate what i'm talking about here in that we're creating space right a video game is space created from scratch you know, if we were doing this in the physical world, we would be describing sound installation. If you wanted to have one sound in one part of the room versus another, we would be talking about fixed media or performance-based sound and musical installation. But we're, when we're in when we're in a video game or interactive media, we are not talking about fixed media in the sense, like you had mentioned, Shui, that a film score would have a beginning and an end of the piece video games and interactive media have to be from a sound perspective have to be composed and arranged in a way that could be potentially looped or repeated forever whether you fall asleep at the Wii menu music or you're stuck on this one fucking boss for like a week the music has to and the sound has to be perfectly continuous as if you are just in a space and there are no noises applied to this environment. You're out by the highway, hanging out, uh, <laughs> doing sketchy shit on the side of the highway, as one does. There's never going to be a moment of silence. The ambiente, the environmental noise, the soundscape—not to be, oh, not to use that term abusively—but the soundscape has embedded noises right there's a there are sounds that are just going to be heard continuously uh to the point at which you won't hear distinction between one versus another or the beginning of the beginning of one versus the end of another sound because there's just continuous perfect perfectly uh sequential uh thinking about traffic for example and so video game environmental sounds whether they be literal music in this case such as this wonderful little sine wave pulsy sort of repetitive minimalist piece uh, or the sound design 
in fucking like Tales uh Tears of the Kingdom, like what we're playing right now, Zelda new Zelda game that just came out. I mean, I'm telling you, man, this fucking game in particular is like Skyrim level good as far as just inviting you to explore spaces that you haven't been to yet. Um just for the sake of getting there, you know, the the thrills and the chase of getting to the not necessarily the destination, right? Uh but the the sounds of these spaces, you know, like what the sounds of a mountain range sound like versus a desert, you know, if you were to sit by a fire in this video game, you could, I don't know, go make coffee, answer an email, and it remains and it remains on. And there's a continuousness to it that is so, you know, obviously professionally produced. So it's quite effective and immersive. But this is something that has to be thought about, not necessarily in the in a fixed media way that even sound designers for film and Foley artists would be working on and that the scene starts and ends. There are X, Y, Z actions that occur on screen. They happen once or a few times, and then we move on to another environment. This is something that has to be thought of in repetition as the primary sort of factor of how it's composed. Because if there is a restart moment at any point in any of these sounds, musically or sound design, environmental, literal, pseudo field recordings, uh, artificial field recordings or Foley sounds or whatever. Um, if there is any point of clear, distinct, like repetition, artificial repetition, like the sound file has restarted. Even if we're talking about classic video games on NES or Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis that were literally coded onto a microprocessor chip and built into the cartridge of the video game itself, right? These sounds are built into the hardware of the machine uh, or into the cartridge that is being read by the, the the console. You know, we're in a different stage now in post even disk drive, uh, potentially when it comes to gaming, uh, as far as what's possible uh, in pro audio. It's all It's been CD quality for a minute, but there is this history going all the way back to the cartridge days where, where your sounds have to be immersive in the very least naturally repetitive. Uh, and that includes, you know, the Mario theme song, like for NES, the da, 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 da. that is your, <laughs> that is the restart of the loop too, right there. And you better believe that it follows like perfectly in line rhythmically as if we're just right back at the top. Uh, there is absolutely just like, no distinction as if we've restarted the piece it's just hitting it from the end from the beginning one more time uh seamlessly it's about that seamless repetition that is thought about thoroughly in the composition process before it's even like really even recorded how do we write music and how do we create sounds that have the ability to seamlessly repeat without you necessarily realizing it, you the, the listener even realizing it you know, now it's so sophisticated. It's just thinking about like beautiful, perfect crossfades, right? The the long form crossfade being made in your DAW or whatever. Um, but something to think about specifically in that this is there is no uh, there's no proper point of repetition necessarily, because you're also, I mean, in 
environmental sounds coming at you from 360 degrees, right? So you also have to think about as far as like game design, music and sound, like how to make music that works in an artificial space where potentially you're utilizing the stereo field and even potentially the uh, 360 AR audio, which is obviously going to be the next step. I mean, everybody working in VR is now figuring out ways to create this sort of 360 panable audio where you can, you know, spin around and hear a sound coming from behind you uh, with the headphones on that, you know, you aren't able to replicate that experience without this particular piece of hardware or whatever. That's coming, you know, and I think I'm thinking about that from just a not even interactive media perspective from a video game or visual media, but just music that has spatial audio in a controllable 360 sort of setting, uh, what is possible there. But uh, that's another conversation for another time. Um, Can't go wrong with Wii menu music. I think at the end of the day, musically speaking, this is strong, minimalist, nothing wrong with some sine wave consonants, you know? I don't think anyone is really going to be bothered to hear that a few times. You know, and that is the point, right? They had to create something that you are going to have to listen to when you restart and when you reinstall the software over and over and over again. So like getting intentionally repetitive sounds to not lose their appeal, you know, hopefully. Maybe in this case, going for softer consonants, sine waves non-threatening sine waves is the way to go not sure i'm not sure good stuff though good stuff thank you very much shui shui <laughs> all right we got one more for the day what do we got what do we got we got from jonas they write, please bear with me. I'm usually not a fan of these hyper-commercialized J-pop idol groups. Oh, God. But especially, but Especia holds a special place in my heart. Especia. There is a, something about this song that keeps me coming back like an addict. It's like Future Funk and J-pop melted together, which sounds like it should be common, but I have never heard a track like this one where it's totally predictable, strange nostalgia bait but still slaps. The chorus stands out to me and I feel like that's the reason why they get away with such a long, a long song for this genre. Came out nine years ago, so def a product of its time. Let's get it. <laughs> My sister put on the iPod vibes. Yeah, sure, sure. We all know. We all know Mr. Otaku Weebus Jonas over here consistently bringing the Japanese artists that we've never heard of. Pan Asian, I won't say just won't not not a not necessarily just Japanese. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do Jonas like that. <laughs> All right, Especia, number one sweeper. Oh my lord, don't even know what that could mean. Let's go.
<laughs> wow. That was really fun. Especia, number one sweeper. Man, go check out the music video uh, to make that even more of a vaped out. Uh, it's got to be talking. I don't know what lyrically is going on here, but there's a lot of vegetables and it looks very much like a uh, advertisement for a supermarket or something like that. Um, I got to say, I mean, if this came out nine or so years ago, I mean, it's definitely a product of its time, but I feel like this, they got to be tuned in. Whoever produced this has to have been tuned in to not only like city pop, but like vaporwave and the sort of subgenres, underground sort of styles of electronic music that, you know, future funk and city pop and these sort of, you know, big bright lights, big city Japanese pop genres have inspired more so in the West uh, when it comes to, you know, the vaporwave, you know, so much of that is just, <laughs> just fucking artists with Japanese names uh, who aren't Japanese, right? I mean, I can't think of, an, of a genre that would have that as like potentially a given uh, so much uh, fetishization of Japanese consumer bright lights, big city culture in this way with, you know, layers and layers of irony going on here. But this, you know, being that it is actually J-pop, contemporary-ish, you know, last decade of J-pop, you know, 2010s, uh you know commercial music girl group girl band uh with a production team my guess has to be just like you know and obviously i'm uh maybe not obviously but for the record i am by no means uh well versed at the subject of, of especially contemporary j-pop uh maybe a little of the earliest stuff uh things that i can recall with my uh bigger fascination with with anime in the 90s and early 2000s but uh with this type of music nowadays being that they've kind of uh in a lot of ways japan has sort of taken on this nostalgia core sort of empire as far as like you know the media that they produce so much of it that americans are obsessed with has to do with the 80s and 90s too not just music, obviously, but, you know, hey, video games, film, fashion, these sorts of things, uh, animation, obviously, um, versus like Korea, we're talking in East Asian pop music, like big, you know, J-pop versus K-pop. Korea has kind of become the contemporary sort of empire as far as, uh, you know, pushing out the, the, the boy band and girl band material uh, that's getting on a international stage that j-pop never really had you know uh i guess you know correct me if i'm wrong but i mean like bts and artists like bts are just kind of in their own fucking universe as far as popularity at this point like fucking beetle mania but korean boy bands you know uh it really is that level of obsession stan culture to it so to me like this track in particular feels like an embrace of the what japan and japanese pop culture is known for so much which is this like late 20th century boom and eventual bust of like the neon empire the plastic neon skyscraper bright lights big city 
you know, fucking Harijuku area, you know, like what, what it's known for internationally, as far as, you know, contemporary and late 20th century Japanese culture, uh, that really is like the, it takes the cake as far as that. And I guess in the 2020s, that's nostalgia, right? Like the nineties was 30 years ago, you know? So it's like, we're at this point now where like, even at the time when we, as in maybe millennials, people in their late twenties, early thirties, uh, will remember hearing this stuff in their childhood. So to them, to me, a lot of these sounds in the J-pop sort of sound felt contemporary because it was at the time, but it's like so much of this stuff at this point is nostalgia for the nineties. It feels like pop culture nostalgia core is always on this 30 year delay loop. Right. And now we're kind of like really digging into nineties and like Y2K era, big boom neon city shit. Um, and we really have that here. We, this has, this is full of schlock in the best way possible, you know, like the sax solo <laughs> at the end, just like, Oh, uh, like really just give me the cheese. Um, and that's why I, I just, I just feel like there has to be in the very least, maybe not ironically, but you know how the weekend has one Oh tricks working for them and stuff like that. Like, you know, to, in order to really zoom in microscopically on this, like, 80s uh quiet storm sort of sound that the weekend is known for um perhaps this group especia and their producers have this you know finger on the pulse as far as like what it is about nostalgia in the underground cultures of music that is appealing to people now contemporarily and how can they tap into that and you know this was nine years ago and i think that that you know being you know real wave of vaporwave and uh a lot of other, you know, interesting sort of takes on 90s and 80s and Y2K era nostalgia as far as sound goes. Uh, perhaps whoever is working with Especia is tuned into that a bit. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll never know. Good way to wrap that up right there. Classic track. Really nice little icing on the cake. little sax solo at the end to cheese you up. Thanks for hanging with me this afternoon and listening to some wonderful music. I hope this has been uh, an informative, fun time for you. I hope you've uh, enjoyed listening as much as I have. And I'll see you in a couple weeks for the next one. Hope you all have a good one. Take care. Deuces. Thank you for listening to another episode of Lameem Young with me, Max Alper. You can sign up for the Patreon virtual classroom at lamemyoung.com, where we also are now offering monthly and weekly private lessons for those looking to get a more individualized pedagogical approach. Thanks again.